with verse verse eight, and we're um, we're talking about uh, basically the issue, the reality of grace. And um, what we're gonna do? We're gonna hit. We're gonna go right to that slide. Um, Okay, six and seven. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion or trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. So this is where we left off um, last week. We I know there might be questions. Uh, again, if you have a, a ton, if you have questions, uh, please feel free to ask. We we try we're, we're trying to make this a time where we can have some sense of dialogue. And, uh, but we do ask because of the time constraints that to be thinking, like, is this going to benefit everybody or is it something I can ask Eric and somebody else in the body um, after service? So just be, just be processing that in your heart. Um, let me pray for our time. And we're going to jump right in and get to work. Okay, family? Uh, dear Jesus, thank you for the opportunity to be able to uh, read your word as a, as a family. Uh, thank you that uh, here's one leaf on the tree of, of, of your worship. All around the world, there are people honoring you and blessing you uh, for being the great king. And we just thank you we can be a part of that. And we pray that you would allow us to be faithful. Holy Spirit, guide us as we want to know what you're saying, what's true, how you're bringing glory to Christ. We pray that you would allow us to participate with that and uh, that we can enjoy our time together. In Christ's name, amen. <coughs> Excuse me. So, so what happens here? So, the, 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 we talked about the grace piece, but now, what was what was the issue really in Galatians? What, why is he so serious about uh, making about this whole claim and understanding uh, grace? And we're going to see it laced throughout um, throughout Galatians. Uh, the seriousness of this one true gospel. Him trying to make it really clear uh, that that when you take away grace, um, you have nullified everything, right? So, why is that the case? Well. There's a lot of, uh, there's some debate. A lot of times we can just focus and say the Jews are just weird and can't believe they, you know, messed up the gospel and made it a gospel of works. Uh, we're going to get into that in a moment. But what I want to focus on right now is just clearly what, what, their, what, what their focus was. And that is, you, and as, you read, as you hopefully have read through the book, uh, the desire was you have read it at least three or, three or so times uh, to get familiar with the book, which, by the way, um, to be familiar with the book, like before you start wanting to dis- discern doctrine, it's really good to read a book over and over again so that you can gather uh, just a sense of the argument and the story. Um, in fact, and I just remember when I when I first started um, uh, walking with the Lord and joined the Staff Crusade, I remember he always just tell us, like, you know, even with Romans, they're like, well, read Romans about 13 times before you even try to do an inductive study uh, because you need to just get used uh, to the story. Uh, so it's like staring at the fishes. Uh, with that said... Uh, the biggest deal for them was, was you know, we talk about the, circ- the circumcision piece. See, see in the Old Testament, uh, or far be it, uh, being a Jew, just like being a, a Christian today, um, there's, these, there's these, like, identification markers, okay? When you think about it, I mean, we don't want to talk about works, but, but one of the ways you know, like, one of the ways we say, you say, I'm a Christian. So what we do intuitively, even though we are grace-motivated people, is we go, okay, well, there's some different markers that if a cat say they're a Christian, they're going to be about, right? So uh, if you say you're a Christian, I'm going to be like, uh, so why are, you, um, why are you eye-wandering? Why you got three girlfriends, right? Now, having three girlfriends or so don't, don't save you, right? Uh, you're saved by grace through faith. But Christians usually have a marker of not being a pimp, right? 
Okay, so okay, just make sure we're on the same page here. So, so there are there are identificator, clear identifications of like if you are a Christian, it looks like a certain thing at some level, right? So there's unity and diversity, but some things are just like this is just how it is. This is what Christians do. This is what Christians don't do. Okay. Well, in the same way, so we can just have sympathy and compassion to the Jew. To the Jew, they had their own identification markers. Okay, but their identification markers uh, was based on this, this reality of, of ethnic Israel. Okay, of, of what did it mean to be the ethnic people of God? So, so works were part of them for sure, but also there was these identification markers of the ethnicity. And so uh, one in particular, circumcision. Okay, obeying the law. Um, but the issue, the big issue here was this, real, this issue of circumcision. There were certain things that were being done uh, to individuals in Galatia uh, and or weren't being done. And the Jews were really frustrated because they were going, wait a minute. People of God look like this and you're not doing that. So we have a problem. If you want to be the people of God, you either need to do this or we're going to have serious issues. OK, it's identification markers. So so. Now, I don't know, again, uh, when, you, when you look at thinking or you look at philosophy, uh, we all, like, philosophy is never monolithic. And I, what I mean by that is sometimes we can say all Jews wanted all people to be circumcised. Well, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, think about it. I'm sure there were some very pharisaical, legalistic Jews who said you need to be circumcised to be saved. Totally wrong, right? But there also was some Jews who were just saying, Hey, man, I don't know about the whole save thing, but, you know, people who love, who love God are circumcised. And they were just kind of weren't as, as dogmatic. So I'm sure you had this huge gradation. And it seems that Paul is, is confronting all that. It's to the Jew who's being extremely pharisaical, saying that it's a requirement for salvation, or even the Jew that's saying, hey, if you really want to be down with the, with the covenant people of God, whether I don't know about salvation or not, but if you want to be down, you need to do this. He's saying all of y'all are wrong. Okay, so, so it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be like at this huge this, this this other side of the pendulum where everyone's a Pharisee. Any aspect of our life, he's saying, when you make the identification of the people of God based on something you've done or haven't done, you're wrong. Okay, so the false gospel simply is that the Jewish people thought that there is a circumcision that made uh, people the covenant people. Uh, but what's the true gospel? We can continue to just go down the line. Um, now, this is, seems simple, but, but, but hear this, because I, I want to I bring this home a little bit. So we would say identification of Christ. Okay, identification, what, 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 what Paul is saying here is actually, I get you, I'm compassionate about that, I know that you, that's what you've been taught for thousands of years, but guess what, something has happened, and we're going to go through that in a moment, because we're going to take and put our lenses on and make, and make ourselves all Jews for a minute. Uh, he's saying now the indicator of a person being part of the covenant community is simply Jesus. Is their relationship, their relation to Christ. Now, we go, yeah, well, that's Christianity 101, Eric. That's easy. Well, okay. Is it because when I think about, I look at, I look at our room here, I'm telling y'all, this is a huge issue today. Huge issue. Because here we are. I have, I have seen so many people in just our, our years, you know, I know we just started the service for a year now, but I've seen, but we've been in, a, in the game here, serving the Lord in the community for almost four years, and I'm amazed at how many people have a huge roadblock 
of experiencing true Christianity, true Bible teaching, people walking with the Lord because of race. Simply because of race, they're willing, because they want to have loud music and they want a certain culture, the, the way they, they, they're used to their culture, right? Here we are in an African, like 90, I don't know, what, 95 or so percent African-American community. And the Lord is, is starting to bless us now where the community is starting to come out and trust us. But I'm amazed at how many church-going folk are willing to say, I won't come and participate with you because there's too many white people. And guess what? I go to a church where I don't know what they're preaching. The guy's hooping and hollering. He ain't even speaking English half the time. Okay, the gospel's not being preached. They're not serving. No kingdom stuff at all, but I'm going to go there because the black. I'm going to go there because it's comfortable for me. Because it's my people and my culture and my music. And we see the exact same thing in the suburbs, white folks. So don't get it twisted. It ain't just the brothers. Right? So we got white folks who will, who will not step foot into a church or, oh, no, this is what white folks do. You'll be in the church, but as soon as the brothers start coming, oh, so you'll be like, we're cool. But then the brothers start showing up, just like in public schools. Don't get me, right? One brother start coming, five, ten, family, you know. Next thing you know, all of a sudden the white folks start moving. I mean, the sad reality, and this is not gossip, this is what happened. I mean, um, uh, you know, the, when, I, when I heard the history of, of one of our parent churches, they were in the city. They were in the city. In, in Richard's history, they were in the city. And the, the church um, began to, well, the, the, the community around it began to get a little thugging. And they dipped. It's the people of God. We will for not one minute look at this passage and think it's talking about us. We go, look at them silly Jewish people. I cannot believe they were focused on circumcision. And they are going, I cannot believe you were focused on pigmentation. It, it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart because I'm, I'm, I'm cool if you're at a black church and the gospel's being preached and you're being discipled and men and women are coming to Christ and they're learning God's truth and you're loving your wife better and you're loving your kids better and you're seeing, you're seeing gospel-centered lives being lived and you're seeing the Lord being lifted up and you're loving your neighbor and you're seeing like recreation and transformation happening in and around you. I'm cool. Stay where you are. But it breaks my heart that we'll stay with lies for the sake of culture, and think that we're honoring the Lord. And that's why I just ask you guys, you know, people, and people give us a hard time all the time, you know, because the demographics, they think we come here, and, you know, we started off with some white families, they thinking, like, in 10 minutes, you know, all the brothers are going to run in. Where all the brothers at? And I'm like, you know what? Whether, wherever we were, are, the gospel's a hard sell. And because we're teaching the truth, that's why cats don't want to fall up in here. Because we ain't going to let you dog your wife while you're up in here. We ain't going to let you just be excited about using your drugs. We ain't going to let you be cool about stealing, being ungodly. That's why people don't want to fall up in here. So, so my prayer for all of us is let's, let's continue to have courage. Let's fight. Because the, the, Satan wants us to get weary. And I don't want us for one minute, white or black or whatever we are in here, 
to be apologetic about any of our people. That's totally dishonoring the Lord. For us to be like heads down because the Lord has blessed us with some white folks, that is dishonoring to the Lord. I will, we will not be ashamed because this is our family. So we got to fight this, y'all. And we need to stand up in our community that tells us this is actually okay. And that's why you, you can have the audacity of having, I mean, I, you know, you can have a black church and a white church across the street from each other and absolutely no dialogue. It's, that is just a smack in the face of the gospel. Read the epistles. One of the reasons Jesus died was for unity. It blows me away. I was in a, I was in a uh, Christian organization when I was in college, and uh, and this is a hard thing to deal with. I get it. But the Christian organization was struggling with ministering to African Americans. And so some brothers said, look, man, let us, let us help you out kind of deal. So they started this, this movement. So they started a movement, and now black folks are getting reached. Okay? But there was something really wrong with, thing, with things here. Because um, all of a sudden, you start seeing this, this white movement and this black movement raised up. Okay? Now, I'm cool with contextualization, because that's what that is initially. But contextualization without reconciliation is not from the Lord. At some point, they need to talk. some point, they need to be like, oh, we brothers, and we need to, we need to, we need to fight for unity. Okay, I get if you're just a young believer and you're still racist, and I get that. You know, I was choking white folks all, well, I get that. You know what I'm saying? So, you know. I dealt my journey. Make sure you take that off the internet. So I dealt. <laughs> but, okay, you gotta, you gotta grow. I'm not asking you to come to church. Next thing you know, you just wanna be like frolicking through the heels of white folks and, and white folks of black folks. I get that. There's a, growth, there's a growth continuum, right? I get the growth continuum. But I was in this organization and I was like, man, like, wow, dude, I'm walking with the Lord. I'm in this, you know, I got saved through this organization. I came to Christ through the, the ones that ministered to African Americans and I thought, Okay, I started growing the Lord, and I'm like, why are we not connecting? Because I have white friends. I'm like, why are we not doing anything? And I started going to these conferences, and I would hear the brothers, like, talking about the white people. And it was, just, it was, just, it was like evil. And I was like, man, this just seemed kind of weird. And I get it. There's baggage. There's pain, you know. And they were like, hey, so you're going to start one? And I, you know, when, you, when I left, are you going to start one? I said, no, nah, man. And I, just, and I, left, the, I, left, the, I left that movement. And, and I went down to, um, down to the headquarters, and they wanted to be down. They're like, hey, come start this movement. I said, no. They're like, why not? I said, man, because if I can just be honest, I know I'm a wet behind the ears young guy, but it just seems like this is, this is, there's some racism breeding here. And it seems like we've gotten, our culture is getting way too much power, more power than Jesus is in this. Because the culture is really, is really what's motivating and leading things. Because we're not dialogue. And the same for these crew. And I'm watching, and so it was... Um, it, it just was like a real-world picture to me to watch godly people not want to deal with this big elephant in the room. And so that's the reality, but what I praise the Lord for is that, is that we're fighting. And I just want us to continue to fight and make sure that we understand this does apply to us today. Uh, because God is saying, this, if anything becomes an identification marker other than Jesus, we have shortchanged the gospel. Jesus. Period. Not your music. Natural culture, Christ. Where's my Bible? Okay. So, um, so he continues on, and again, we ask questions if there's any, if you want dialogue. 
he continues on and says, but even if we are an angel um, or even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. OK. Uh, and he says, as we have already said, so now I say it again. If anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Uh, you see you see the force in his language. He says the same thing twice. That's just crazy. He writes it twice. Who does that? And, and his point here is that here's what the gospel is. Anything different is wrong. And, and notice that sense of absolute truth. I want us to be comfortable about knowing that there's something true. And when somebody says something different, they're lying. And that's okay. You ain't got to... We ain't gonna be mad. It's just, it's, not, it's, just, it's, it's nothing personal. It's just that if you're not telling the gospel, I'm gonna tell you you're lying. And I wanna talk about what's true. That's what God has called us to as prophets. We all have a prophetic voice to the, to the world, guys. I'm gonna continue on for the sake of time. <clears throat> he says, Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God, or am I trying to please men? If I was still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Okay, so. Notice there's a couple things going on in the history of it all. Uh, these guys have obviously, um, they, they've sort of been saying that Paul is really not an apostle or there's something that he's done, that he's doing, uh, where, uh, where he's, they're, they're trying to validate their ministry and invalidate his. And so you see him trying to, in his discussion, validate his ministry. Okay? But, and so we're going to get into that in a moment. But what I want to focus on right here, if you notice, he talks about the sense of pleasing men. Um, and the reason why they're probably saying this is because he gets on them uh, about that there should be no circumcision, uh, things of that sort. But then you see him change the tune a little bit uh, in Galatians, I believe, chapter 6. And so they're going, hey, you're kind of wishy-washy, Paul. You know, do you want people to be circumcised or not? And so, they're, so the Jews are basically saying that he was kind of like being fake, that around the Jews he would say be circumcised, and around the Gentiles he would say not, don't be circumcised, which which is actually not a bad thing. Because his point is, that don't really matter. See, when you can tell it, when you can, when you can say something like that, you're saying, hey, Jew, you, you want to be circumcised, that's cool. And Gentiles, you don't have to be circumcised. You're keeping the focus on Jesus. So that was his point there. So, but what I, what I thought about is for us, when I think about, he could have very well, in the sake of not pleasing people, just came up with a cardinal rule. But he doesn't do that. And the question I have for my, myself in my own journey is like how like I in my own life and maybe this is for you too. I think this is a, one of the biggest issues uh, for us as people, and that is people pleasing. Um, and I and I and I just I just threw this up here. Uh, there's like not doctrine for this. I just wanted us to just pause before I go into all this uh, scholastic stuff and just get a little basic practical application and just ask ourselves in our own journey, like. Like, what would happen if we're free from people pleasing? If we were to model Paul and do something that clearly could be seen uh, as one way, but no one is right, so we still do it, right? How many times do we have that happen in our lives where we can do something, but we know what it might be communicated as, and so we try to tweak it or make it like, well, here's what I really meant, or here's what I'm, versus saying, I'm doing the right thing, and it doesn't really care what people think. What would happen if we, were, if, we were, if we were free from people pleasing in our relationships, in how we handle truth, in discipleship in our community, in being intimate with one another? Like, would we be intimate more with each other? Would we share our hearts if we really didn't care what people thought? Would we share our fears? 
being vulnerable, even our joy. Like I, I, sometimes I think our joy, even you know, sometimes in our, in our community here, I feel like our joy and our passion for Jesus is almost bridled. And I don't know why. Why, why are you afraid to shout? Why, why? Think somebody going to say something? Why don't you just scream out because you can't sing? What, I mean, what's, what's the motivation? Just wonder. Do you sing in here like you sing in the shower? Holy, holiness? Would it affect holiness? Some of us are scared to even be holy because we're scared to look like a certain Christian that we think we would be. So we don't want to be all crazy Christian. But God has called you to passionate holiness. And it's just sad that we sort of, we bridle this stuff. That's just, that's just for free. I just wanted, I was just thinking through that, uh, being free of people pleasing. Thinking about that, because man, it affects us. It affects our life. Walking around and doing things based on what we think the result will be externally. Knowing that God has placed something in our hearts. The Lord is, he's not pleased with that. That's the opposite of integer. That's the opposite of integrity. Because you're not really being who you are. But God has called us to have integrity. And, and that's one thing I'm trying to practice, guys. And I know some of y'all are mad and tired of it, and that's why I'm always consistently loud. Right? Because I'm going, why, why stop? If I do, I'm just trying to please you. I'm a loud person. It ain't sinning. You know what I'm saying? You know, like... Yeah, I don't know. Just my own little journey. Okay. Um, so, so I just want to recap this. So we see, we see in those texts, right, in verses uh, 6 through 10, there's one gospel given to us as a gift. And here are the two questions that you can write down. Uh, are you plucking away anything that, that doesn't accent the gospel in your life? So is there stuff in your life where it, is fo- it focuses in its nature on something else other than the gospel, which we talked about in depth? Is there, are there things in your life where people hear that and they think more about that than Jesus? And uh, while doing so, are you living motivated by grace? Which we talked about uh, last week. Are you living a life that's motivated not by what you do, uh, but who you are is motivated by grace? That God has done everything for you, and that now you can live that life of freedom where you don't have to please people because you're God's child. Motivated by grace, man. It's so freeing. There's a guy, uh, he's a very wealthy guy. He lives in, um, he's a Golden Northridge. I don't give you his name, but uh, um, he uh, is hilarious. He talks so much. And um, well, I lo- what I love about him, and he said this to me, we met one day, and he's like, uh, he was just talking all fast, and he was going off. And he always says all these weird comments, and he says like these these very like things where you know like that one person who will say things that you're thinking but you don't say it, and he's that guy, right? All the time he'll just say stuff, and I'm like, man, I can't believe he just said that, you know? And uh, it was cool because he said to me, he was like, well, you know what, Eric, I love it though. And um, he was like, because because I'm so honest and I'm so real, he's just who I, I am. Who I am. He's like, I, I'm so much free because I don't have to keep track. Like he's like, I don't, he's like, I'm not stressed because I'm not keeping track on what I, how am I acting toward you and, and, what, and what's my cultural norm with you and how, what, have, what have I said to you and if I lied to you, I got to remember that lie so I can keep, you know. He's like, I ain't got to go through all that. So he's like, I'm just free. And I'm like, yeah, you, you kind of crazy, but he is free. He's totally free. And you can tell he's, there's just a freedom about I'm just who I am and I don't care what you think. 
And it's really cool to watch. Um, I don't know how we're going to handle the, the talking and stuff, but, but uh, I do like that the brother's free. Okay, so that was uh, verses uh, 6 through 10 because we're about to do something new right now real quick. Um, any questions about that? That was from basically last week and now. Okay, we're going we're gonna to move on real quick then. All right. <coughs> All right, so, so basically what I want us to do is a lot of times when we read Galatians, and stick with me here because this is going to get, uh, I, want, I want you to hear this so, you can, so hopefully we're learning and it provides a great infrastructure for where we're going. When we, when we read a book in the Bible, a lot of times we go into it and we don't ask ourselves really, like we, we even, get, even when we do history, We'll do history, and we'll look at some books, but we won't ask ourselves, so what, what motivated Paul to do this thing? Like, and then where did he get the gospel, and what was his mindset? And we, we, don't, we don't have the mindset of a first century Jew. And I, and I tell you, uh, the, the Bible is assuming that we do. And so when we're not fighting to, to just understand at some level what the mindset of a Jew was during this time uh, and before Jesus' coming, we, we're going to miss a lot of stuff. It, it, just some of the things aren't going to connect. And so what I wanted to do, I wanted to spend a little time uh, doing a brief, just doing some brief history, and hopefully it would encourage you um, in your walk with the Lord and understanding more what was going on during that time, okay? All right? But I'm going to need you to stick with me because, um, yeah, so I don't know if I need to make you guys run in place or something, but I want you to stick with me, okay, family? All right, let's go. Let's go to it. Okay, so what, here's what's happening. So we have... There's something that hap- that's happening in Jewish history, which is redemptive history, okay? And that if we don't understand redemptive history, we're going to miss something in understanding why, why, really was, why, why did Jesus come? What did he really do? Because here's what we think. We think Jesus came to save us from our sin, right? Now, that's true, but that's not the whole picture. Nor, I'm, and almost I might add, that's, that's kind of man-centered, I want to add to you, I think that's actually not the main reason, and that it's kind of man-centered, because now it's about us, and he hooked me up for my sin. So I want to propose to you what the Jews thought, okay? Here's what they were thinking in all of history, and now hear me there. I'm not saying people say, you think he didn't save us from sin? I totally think Jesus saved us from sin. So just for all the people who want to be mad at me later, that's not the case. I'm just saying it's, it seems to be uh, not what the Jews are thinking, and it seems to be kind of man-centered. Here's what was going on. You had this concept. Have you guys ever heard of this? There, so when you look at Scripture, there's this reality that's going on all throughout Scripture, and that's the reality of covenant, sin, exile, restoration. Okay, now don't miss that, because you, if you want to read the Bible, you need to understand this concept. Because this was the lens that the Jews looked through for thousands of years. And guess what? You're in that lineage now, okay? Covenant, sin, exile, restoration. So, so God creates man. Um, he, he, he provides this, uh, this covenant with them. Okay, we have the fall, we get the covenant, okay? Then what, what, what God says, okay, so now you have this covenant, but if you, you fall into sin, um, I'm going to punish you, okay? I want you to be my people. I want you to res- represent me on earth. Um, I want you to be a light to the nations. So, so you experience the love of God. You're a light to the, then you tell the nations that my, our, our God, the one we're worshiping, the ethnic Jewish God, is the God of the universe. Then the other Jews, other people, Jews and, and un-Jews alike, come and say, I want to worship your God. That's what proselyte was. You ever heard of the word proselyte? That's an individual who's not a Jew because you, you just think that the Jews knew, knew God. In Old Testament, no. 
people who were not Jews said, wow, I'm watching what you guys are doing, how you're loving each other, how you're caring for each other, how you're worshiping this God you have, and I want to worship that God too. And so then the Jews say, well, come on over and, and be like us. And then they became proselytes, which means that they became Jews even though they weren't ethnic Jews. Okay? That was a goal all along. God wanted people to see him uh, through, the Israel, through the Israelites and to come over and worship the true God. If they weren't going to do that, and they were going to dishonor the Lord, he says, then uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put you in exile, okay? So, so exile was, was one of the biggest, like, smacks in the face of the Israelites because there's a few markers um, that, gave it, that gave Israel great identity. One of them was land. Now you get the whole sense of the promised land being promised to the Israelites. It was promised to them. This is yours. They're hanging out into it, in, in it, but then what happens when they fall into sin in the Scriptures? Exile. Remember, they, went, they got exiled. All right? So they get exiled, but then while they're in exile, he says, although you're in exile, Israel, which is the biggest slap in the face because it's not that I just took the land from you, but to be in exile meant that God displaced himself from you. That's why exile mattered, because, wow, if God took us away from the land, then what he did was he removed his presence. Okay? But then, G, but then God says, he promises, although you're in exile, I will restore you. That's, that's basically the history that was going on over and over and over again in the Old Testament. Let me give you one, one example. Um, we talked about that covenant obedience brings blessing, disobedience, and sin results in curse. Here's some proof. Uh, we can look at this uh, passage here. Uh, he says, when all, when all these things and curses I have set before you come upon you, and you take them to heart, wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations, and when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul according to everything I command you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he scatters you, even if you have been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there, the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. He will bring you to the land that belonged to your fathers, and you will have to take possession of it. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. Um, notice this. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. Notice that concept. He's talking all this circumcision. We're going to see this again and again. And who is he talking to? The Jews, the Israelites, right? But have you noticed, where do you see these scriptures fulfilled? They're fulfilled by Gentiles. So what does that mean? We'll pause there. Let me just continue to go. I'll, I'll, I'll explain it in a moment. Ver, no, I'm sorry, go back, please. I want to finish reading that verse. Uh, verse 7, the Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies who hate and persecute you. You will again obey the Lord and follow all his commands I'm giving you today. Um, and he goes, he goes on and on. Let's continue on, please. Same kind of imagery. This, um, so that was Deuteronomy. Check that out in your own time. This is also Ezekiel 36. Check it out in your own time. The whole passage, there's this sense of covenant, sin, exile, restoration. God's saying, if you're, if you're my people and you're doing what I've, what I've called you to do, then you'll be blessed. If not, you'll be cursed. It will be shown in exile, but I won't leave you hanging. I will restore you. Okay? Look what he says. I'm just, I just took these little excerpts out. Please read all of 36 and 37, okay, family? Look what he says here. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. Where have you heard that before? He says, I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I've heard people pray that before. 
He says, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You will live in the land I gave your forefathers. You will be my people and I will be your God. Okay. Now, remember, saying this to ethnic Jews, ethnic Jews is the promise of ethnic Jews. But we know that in the New Testament, both Jews and Gentiles alike fulfill these uh, these commands and prophecies. What does that mean? We see it again. Prayer takes place in exile in Daniel 9. You'll see uh, them back in Jerusalem in Nehemiah, in Nehemiah 9. Um, this is just if you guys are really trying to go deep. These are some extra biblical scriptures. Uh, this, this is not um, from the scriptures, but these are historical dates uh, with other writings that was written uh, during uh, uh, 104 to 63 B.C. and 220 to 60 B.C. Uh, people were still writing about this exile piece, okay, but they were writing about being in exile even when they had been brought back to the land. Now, hear me there. So you have covenant sin, exile, restoration. God brings them back to their promised land, but the people are still saying, Lord, when are you going to restore us? Why is that the case? Continue on, please. Now, I bring all this up because I want us to understand what, the, what a Jew was thinking and what Paul was thinking. So you have, you have this is as Paul uh, persecuting. Let me just, let me just, let me just uh, round this out a little bit. So you have God saying, I have made this covenant with you. You've sinned. You're in exile. And they're going, wow, I can't wait to be restored. But then when God places them back into the promised land, they're saying we still want to be restored. That's why you have in the Gospels people still running around, listening to people in the, in the wilderness like John the Baptist, because they were still looking for God to restore their people. Do you see that? But that's interesting because they were in the promised land. So what were they looking for? They, they, were, they, were realized, they must have realized that that wasn't full restoration. Are you feeling me? They understood that all these, all these historical writings were saying that, Lord, that restoration was more than just being placed in this land. So they were looking for something else. That historical Jews realized that, the, that God was going to restore them, and it wasn't just that. Okay. All right, so I'm saying that because that's the mindset of a Jew. Now, understand that. They are looking for restoration, and in their, and in their minds, in number 25, guess how they got it? Read down your own time. They got it by being faithful Jews. So you messed up, you're in exile. Well, what you need to do is you need to clean house. We talked about that a lot. You clean house, you find out who's in sin, you beat them up, you kill them, you do whatever you got to do, but you clean house in order for God to place you in good blessing. Okay, because God was serious about holiness, and he was serious about holiness in the camp. So what Paul is doing, now hear me, so what Paul is doing in Acts 9 is simply being obedient. When he's persecuting the Christians, he is being a really good Jew. Because what he was trying to usher in was restoration. He was trying to usher in God to fully bless his people. Okay. With that said, before we go to more 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 verses, I want to read what we're going to look at today, and hopefully it'll all come together, family. We're gonna we're starting at verse um, verse uh, verse eleven. Look what he says, guys. So here's Paul defending himself. He says, "I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preach is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ." Verse 13 of chapter 1 in Galatians. 
For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the tradition of my father. Do you see that? This is is Numbers 25 he's talking about. He's saying, look, you're thinking I'm, you know, that that I'm a fake Jew. Well, hold up. Let me tell you something. I was doing the right thing. I, I, you know, we talked about him being uh, being ministered to by Gamaliel. Right. I've been trained from my birth. I've been uh, doing the right things. I'm a Pharisee and I was persecuting the church. And he says, but when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not consult any man, nor did I go to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. But I was immediately into I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. That's verse 17. So my point there, Paul is persecuting, and all of a sudden, listen to this, he's doing his thing, and we ask ourselves, so how did Paul understand Christianity? How did, like, how did he get it? What happened? All of a sudden, Jesus comes and says, Paul, guess what's happening? Um, you're killing the wrong people, right? And Paul goes, what? And you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of a, a movie I saw a long time ago called Six, uh, Sixth Sense. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but the concept of the movie is there's this guy in the, in the beginning of the movie, this little kid that can see dead people, okay? And, uh, and so all throughout the movie, um, you don't know, like, everything about the movie. And he's going on, and he's, and he's, like, seeing these people, and there's this guy, Bruce Willis, who's taking him on his journey throughout the movie, right? And so you, you go throughout the movie, and you wonder why... Like, like Bruce helps him feel, like saw some some crimes and stuff. There, you know, there's some drama happening throughout the movie, and you don't never know really what Bruce's deal is. You don't you don't really get it yet, and um, and you get to the end of the movie, and all of a sudden you realize the reason why he can why the little boy can see Bruce because Bruce never knew is because Bruce is dead too, right? And then what happens if you're me? I don't know about you, but all of a sudden. All the pieces begin to fill themselves for me. I was like, oh, so that's what happened in the beginning of the movie, and that's why this happened. Like, I didn't really understand the movie until I had that very important piece to fill in the gaps for the rest of the movie. So I want to propose to you that what happened with Paul as a Pharisee was on, in Damascus, that's where he truly heard the gospel, but not like how you and I think we hear it. He didn't sit down with the four laws of Paul. All he had to say to Paul was the restoration that you have been looking for has already happened in me. Do you see that? And all of a sudden, Paul being a Pharisee began to put all the pieces together and realize the restoration that he was looking for, the piece that he had been looking for was, oh, it was, so Jesus had done it. Let's continue on. He came with Zilda Dagger. We just talked about that. Continue on, please. So that's what Paul's point is. Let's let it flow through. His mindset was he was stamping out, he was stamping out Judaism, right? He was just, I want to get disobedient, stamp it out. Then Jesus comes and says, restoration has been accomplished apart from restoration of Israel. Now, don't miss that. Do you hear that? Restoration had been accomplished apart from restoration of Israel. Or may I say, restoration has now been accomplished through restoration of true Israel. See, I'm trying, I know you, I don't want us to think this is just academic. This, should, this will hopefully either enhance or change the way you've been viewing the Bible. Because I'm proclaiming to you that the Bible is teaching 
that, that Jesus is saying, we thought for all this time, those verses was just for the ethnic Jews. And his point, it's always been for the spiritual Jew. For those that love Christ, that's why he talks about circumcision of your heart. It's for those who love God, not, not just an ethnic person. And that's why he says in Romans 9, he says, you know what? Everyone who calls themselves a Jew isn't a Jew. And everyone who calls themselves Abraham's seed is not part of his offspring. Well, what does that mean? Because he's saying, it's not cats who are just born of a seed, but of a spiritual seed, those who know Jesus. The reason why this is important for you and me is because if you know Jesus, what he has now done, he's grafted you into this lineage, and now this is your history. This is your history. This is my history. We should know it. So he's saying, so can you imagine, Paul, a Pharisee? You know what I'm saying? Like exhorting people and challenging people and standing on disobedience. And then, then Jesus comes and said, let me just help you out, brother. Let's get it all right. He begins to realize that, oh, my goodness. My God truly is the God of the universe, of the world. And that what he did, he did through an ethnic group, but not for an ethnic group. Don't miss You see that? He did it for the world. And he says, now, guess who are Israel? All those who love me. And that's why it's ridiculous for the culture indicator to be Judaism because it's not about Judaism. The family of God is found in Christ. So the Christian who participates with Christ is experiencing restoration right now. The already and the not yet is happening right now. That spiritually, God did something where he said he is now made us his children, experiencing the Holy Spirit right now, and yet he's going to fully allow it to happen one day. He's going to allow us to fully experience no sin, but right now we get to experience this sonship and this daughtership in Christ, and that he is a, God has already accomplished what I was trying to do in my own work, is the theme here. Is that Paul is saying, he's already accomplished this. What I'm trying to do, Jesus already accomplished Resurrection of Christ is the resurrection of Israel and goes far beyond national restoration. That's just a history lesson. We'll get to the text. Any questions about that? That's a lot of meat. Uh, the restoration of Israel is not just ethnic. And so now, what they were always wanting, remember, they were always, well, I'm in exile still, even though I'm in a home, even though I'm, at, I'm, in, I'm in this land. And then all of a sudden, Restoration truly has happened in Christ. For all of us who are, who are serious and says, I love Jesus, you are already restored. That's the gospel. Can we go one more time, please? Thanks, buddy. And that's what I want us to understand. That's the gospel. See, we think the gospel is, right, <clears throat> how we get saved. But look at, look at Romans 1 through 5. <clears throat> Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand was a gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who, through, uh, who as to his human nature was the descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by the resurrection of the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him and for his name's sake we receive grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes through faith. That seems very different to, than just how we get saved. It seems the focus in this passage is how Paul sees it. Jesus Christ has entered into the reign 
that we've always desired. The time has come for all now, for all nations to obey him. Can you go back, please? The good news is our God reigns. And I always say that, and that's not as sexy, but that's the gospel. The gospel, I always tell people, the gospel is like what you want. Like, you, you know, you want a good king. You want peace and love. The good news is Jesus came. He's here. The good news is that you can experience God. That's the good news. The good news is God-centered, that the rain, that the rain that they were always wanting, the restoration they were wanting, is here. Your king reigns, and you reign with him. That's the good news. And in that good news, we get saved from the penalty of sin, and we get freed from sin itself. But the good news is not about me having fire insurance from hell. The good news is that God finally accomplished his reign, and he's reigning right now with the Father forever. That's the good news. But see, that's like kind of weird, because that had nothing to do with me. Is this about Jesus reigning and him being glorified and him being the king and, and him accomplishing all that he said he would accomplish? It's all about God being faithful? Yep. The good news is our God reigns, family. But that's great because we get the residual effects of that. Continue on, please. Okay, so, so the reason why I came from that perspective is because when you look at that story that I just read, the whole point of that for Paul was, guys, the gospel I got wasn't from man. I'm telling you, it was from God. But I wanted us to see, like, how did he get it? Because what we usually think, guys, we think, um, if you go on uh, real quick, we think in the last passage, we think he, it says in verse 18, then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stay with him uh, 15 days. So, so we look at verse 17 and 18, and we think Paul, he's here's the light, he gets, you know, the, blind, the blinders off, and he's walking around a little bit, and he goes to Arabia, and he spends time with Jesus for three years a lot of times when we read that text. You see that? He has this medita- meditation time in verse 17 and 18. Uh, but I want to propose that that's not the case. Look what, look what happens in the verses. He's trying, to defend, he's trying to defend himself with these guys. He's saying, no, I didn't get this gospel from some men and then tweak it, because that's what he was being accused of, to, make, to, to fit my own druthers. He's saying, I got it from Jesus. Well, when? Damascus. Well, all he said to him was, hey, quit persecuting people and walk with me, and you go to somebody's house and the, and the scales are going to fall off. That's all, they, that's all that was said. It was recorded. He, he, he talks about that testimony over and over again in Acts with the same story. Well, look what it says here. Saul spent several days with the disciples of Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogue that Jesus is the Son of God. You see that? He gets Damascus' experience, and in verses say right after, he immediately starts preaching the Son of God. I propose to you there is no way that he spent three years somewhere just meditating. I propose to you that he spent three years preaching the gospel in Arabia, because that's where the Gentiles were. So, it says, at once, uh, he began to preach the synagogues, uh, in verse 21, all those who heard him were astonished and asked, look what they said, isn't he the man who, who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his, this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Had a list of people he's going to take, and now he's praising the Lord and preaching the gospel. Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. 
This is right after, right after the Damascus experience, family. How does that happen? It says, after many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him, but Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch at the city gates in order to kill him, but his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket. We see the same story confirmed in 2 Corinthians. Uh, when they lowered him in a basket, they tried to kill him. So notice this. You got these haters saying, Paul, who are you? How dare you think you have the gospel? How dare you think you know what you're talking about? He says, I got it from Jesus. And he says, but the way I got it is not in this way that I went off somewhere. I had the supernatural experience, but then all that stuff that the Lord had given me all made sense. And then I immediately started preaching the gospel. And so he says, my gospel's not from man. He's, he's trying to defend himself. He's saying, I didn't just go and get this from the apostles. And then probably for 15 days, he spent time where the apostles began to fill in some stuff for him, the scriptures say. But you see, he understood the gospel. So how do we apply a passage that's just historical? How do you apply this passage? It's simply historical. It's Paul defending his apostleship, saying that the gospel came from Jesus, that he received, and that he's not a false prophet. Well, I think it's, I think it's clear. Let me think of um, application. Let me continue on, please. How important is consistent kingdom proclamation to you and me? It seems really clear. I just think it's amazing that this man gives his life to Christ. He's on this way, and all of a sudden, boom, God does something in his life. Um, and all of a sudden, it wasn't a gradual change. He takes, and he, now, don't, don't get me wrong, we're not, we don't start off as Pharisees, so we don't have the first five books of the Bible memorized. We don't understand all the Judaistic laws and the 613 some ordinances and all this stuff. Uh, but the passion for Paul to say, boom, Jesus revealed himself to me, and then my life became kingdom proclamation. Do you see that? For us who are gregarious and shy, it seems the scriptures are showing us that there was a certain passion that comes with this reality of Christ being our reigning king. So when I think of these areas, inviting people, because some of you might say, well, I just, I'm a new believer, I don't know much, that's cool. Well, now you should be passionate to grow so that you can be a proclaimer. I'm convinced you can go to the scriptures and challenge me on this. To say you are a believer, absent of a posture of kingdom proclamation, man, you are missing a huge part of what it means to be a Christian. He has called every one of us. It's like, it's like the way, it's what you have now been created to do or recreated to do in Christ. And that is now you are his kingdom proclaimer. Evangelism, in our relationships, with our families, serving. And you can do these in your own journey through the, the, the covenant community at MacAv. But God has called us to be just as passionate as Paul is in this reality that, man, my God reigns. My life has changed. It's all about him. That's what happened. That's what happened in history. His history is our history. Our people experience covenant, sin, exile, exile, restoration. The cool part, we get to experience the full restoration and the revelation of Jesus Christ reigning and not wait. That's the beauty of the gospel, even for us today.
What do we do with it? Um, Let's have a song. And uh, I want you to think about uh, that reality. What, what are we doing? Like what <coughs> kingdom proclamation in your life? Ask, ask yourself, like, how, how, I mean, you know, we're a very missional church, but on an individual level, um, we can, you know, I, I'm amazed at how it's always the new cats who are, who bring people to come see what the Lord is doing at MacGav. And I feel like us who've been here a little bit, we kind of get kind of chill and it's like to hang out and we become like, Kind of, kind of, it becomes about us. We get insulated real quick. And I want to encourage us, guys, as we look at the text and we see Paul um, saying, look, the gospel I'm telling you is from Christ. Here's what happened in my life. Here's what it means. And here's where my life is now. It's not for him, some super Christian. It's for everybody. And, and notice this kingdom proclamation is not just a work step. It's part and parcel of how you experience the Lord, who he is, who you're called to be. It's our call. We're going to have a, we're going to have a song and tithe an offering. I want you to think about that stuff um, from the perspective of the history. Again, remember, you don't just open your Bible and just, okay, but no, that's the history. We've been restored. If you are um, new here, please um, keep your wallets um, in your pocket, purses to your sides. Please Worship the Lord. Don't give out of compulsion. If you are MacAver, we expect you to be worshiping, worshiping God through tithing. If you are new but yet you understand you're walking with the Lord and you understand what tithe's about, please, I don't, we don't want to hinder you from worshiping God. Give uh, to your Lord. Uh, we also, after tithe and offering, we're going to have a time of communion. Please um, come at your leisure. Uh, we'll have the, uh, the, the wine representing the blood of Christ on each side. And we'll also have bread representing his body broken for us. If you are an unbeliever, we're asking you to please let these elements pass by you. And even the young people, young people, if you don't love Jesus, don't take this. This is for those who are part of the covenant community and you're serious and you see Jesus as your king and you love him. And you have received the beautiful grace of, of, of forgiveness of sin because of, of him being your king. Okay, this is not some, you know, I'm a little hungry, so I'm going to get a little piece of bread to lunch. All right. So, um. So, guys, when we take, we want you to take at your leisure, please. Uh, you can go into corners and pray. Uh, we, you, can, you can go in anywhere you want. We just want this to be a time where you're reflecting on the reality uh, that Jesus' body was broken for you and his blood was shed for, uh, for our sins. Let I me mean, pray for us. And then we're going to have a, um, a song. Please meditate on that reality of Jesus being who he is, reigning, our reigning king, and, and our response in proclamation. Dear Jesus, thank you for the opportunity to uh, be able to uh, worship you, Lord. We pray that the tithe and offering, you would use it for your, for your glory, Jesus. We ask that um, you would give us wisdom on how to uh, use these resources. And we just pray that we can give to you because you're our king. And uh, we pray uh, that you would allow us to enjoy um, just worshiping you through communion, Lord. Um, that you would be blessing our lives um, so that you might be honored. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.